Unapologetic, a podcast about defending, not apologizing, for your Christian convictions. Have you ever heard someone say that all you need to understand the Bible is the Holy Spirit? You've got everything you need. So maybe you've heard this and not known how to respond, or maybe you actually agree, but I'd like to talk today about how this is maybe not the full truth. There is an aspect of truth to this, to where we do need the Spirit to understand the things of God, but how much of those things can we understand only by aid of the Spirit? What is the Spirit's role? What are the roles of other non-Spirit aids in understanding? So that's what we're going to talk about today. The first thing to point out, I think, is that for the Christian, we understand things that the natural man, the non-regenerate man, the unsaved person cannot understand. So Jesus consistently talks about those with eyes to see. In other words, from his perspective, those who certain things have been revealed to. We actually have, as Christians, a a way of knowing where information is revealed to some and not to others. Jesus speaks this way. So, for instance, he says, those with eyes to see can see certain truths. Those with ears to hear can hear certain truths. Now, everyone he's talking to has ears, but they're not the type of ears that are receptive. And a lot of times this is cashed out in terms of the state of their heart. But then we have to ask, why is a person's heart different than another person's heart? And that will come down to the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, there's much more to be said about that to do it justice than just 40 seconds or so. But nonetheless, the Holy Spirit does make the difference in understanding the things of God and, and following them and in not understanding the things of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 seems to make this fairly clear, which says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. That is one message, the message of the cross. There are two groups of people. There is no middle ground. It is either foolish to those who are perishing or to those who are being saved. In other words, to those who are Christians who have the Spirit, it is the power of God. And I think it is worth pointing out here, as with a couple other passages we'll we'll see today, that saved here, salvation in this sense, is not a one-time thing. It's not what happened when you were justified, when you received the Spirit. The, The New Testament often speaks of salvation as a process, not that you can lose it, but that it is happening. So salvation in a New Testament sense is often spoken of as something that has happened. It is happening, and it will happen. When Jesus returns. So there are multiple senses to that word, but Paul's point here nonetheless is that there are two groups of people, those who don't have the Spirit and those who do have the Spirit. And the message of the cross, the gospel, is foolishness to those who do not have the Spirit. So how do you come to understand the gospel? Well, first, you get the Spirit. I think that's Paul's point here, or at least his assumption that he proves in other places. But all of that to say, The Spirit does make a difference in what we can understand about the gospel. Now, I don't mean understand in terms of the English words that we use to convey the thoughts and concepts related to the gospel don't make sense to someone who doesn't have the Spirit. No, they can understand language. That's an aspect of God's common grace. But they can't actually comprehend how that could make any sense. So they understand the words and they don't think the concept makes sense. A God who died on a cross and rose again, that there's a a supernatural world out there that I can't save myself, that I need to rely on salvation from another. All of these types of things confront the sensibilities and rational aspect of the person who does not have the Spirit. I would say, in fact, those with the Spirit sometimes struggle with some of that. But nonetheless, the Spirit is the differentiating factor in 1 Corinthians 1.18. And we do understand that the scriptures are the way that we come to know about salvation. 
So for instance, in 2 Timothy 3, 16, well, 15 and 16, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says that the holy writings are able to make you wise for salvation. Now that's a paraphrase, but that actually kind of proves my point. When we go around sharing the gospel, we're not directly quoting scripture. We are presenting scriptural concepts and ideas and paraphrases because the truth and power is not so much in the exact individual words, but in the concepts they convey. Now, yes, what was originally written down in the original manuscripts by the author is the word of God, but the truths therein are are the important part also. And we convey those even when we paraphrase them in as much as we paraphrase them correctly. And the stakes are high, as this verse and the previous one in Corinthians says, right? Understanding the gospel is a big deal. It's either what is leading to your future salvation or, or you don't understand it and you're left in your sins and you're perishing. And as 2 Timothy says, the scriptures are what makes us wise for salvation. So we should want to know how we actually determine what they say. What tools do we need in our tool belt? Do we just need the spirit or do we need something else? Now, it sounds really spiritual to say you only need the spirit to understand scripture, but I think there's more to it than that. But before we get to that, I do want to answer one question understand how much of it. Do we only need the Spirit to understand Scripture as in every single thing contained therein, or only a certain amount of it? Now, if we're, if we're talking about, do you only need the Spirit to understand the, the principles of the gospel and the kingdom of God and those things? Yes, I think that is probably true. Now, as a baseline, you do need to understand language, and we won't really hit on that today. But assuming you understand language, in order to understand the, the simple truths of the gospel, I do think you only need the Spirit. Now, you do need the Spirit to understand those. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, as Jesus says in John 3, unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. So in order to appreciate the truths in the kingdom, you actually have to be born again by the Spirit. So I actually have a, a very heavy, weighty role on the role of the Spirit in the Christian life, and in the role of the person who comes to understand the gospel. That is a work of the Spirit. The Spirit has changed their heart so that they can understand and receive the things of the gospel. But nonetheless, what about other things? So if we do affirm, like I've just said, that you certainly need the the Spirit in order to understand the gospel, what about the things that flow after that? What about the role of women in the church? What about the role of head coverings and meat being sacrificed to idols? Or when divorce is permissible? Do you only need the Spirit to sort those sorts of things out? And I'm going to say no. You actually need more than the Holy Spirit. And here's why. Because there are things that you are not going to be able to learn except from outside of Scripture. So the Holy Spirit's job is to help us understand Scripture. It illuminates Scripture. But nowhere are we given the guarantee that we, as Christians today, will understand everything in Scripture. Now, when I say that, some people will go to John or Luke and say that Jesus said that uh, the Holy Spirit will lead us to all truth. Now, I, I think he was speaking to the disciples there. Those, those actually were the, the intended audience. But more than that, isn't it obvious that the Holy Spirit hasn't led us to all truth because of the simple fact that people disagree on this issue, that Christians disagree here? I mean, if the Holy Spirit had led us to all truth, there would be no disagreement against God, amongst godly people, unless you're somehow willing to say one of two things. Either the Spirit isn't doing his job, Jesus didn't say that, or I, I, perhaps a third aspect, the person disagreeing with you isn't a Christian. 
None of those seem like valid options. And so I think it is best to understand in the context where Jesus says this, that he is speaking to the apostles. This is not a guarantee for every Christian. And once again, I think that is is quite obvious, the fact that Christians disagree on things. So, if that is true, and the Spirit is not a guarantee for the Christian that we will understand everything accurately, well then what do we need in order to help understand God's Word to the fullest? Remember, I'm not saying that you need external things in order to understand the truths and simple things of the gospel. I'm saying there are other things revealed therein that we need other resources for. Well, what are some examples of those? Well, this past Sunday, I, uh, I preached on divorce out of Mark 10. And there's a lot of context surrounding what leads to the, the dialogue displayed in Mark 10 that you can't get from Scripture. So, for instance, the disagreement at that day amongst the, the popular schools of thought of two rabbis, Hillel and Shammai. You, you don't learn of that in Scripture, but that is most certainly what is behind the Pharisees' question, because they live in this day, and they had a perspective, and we know that from non-biblical writing. So we can better understand the context of their question from things we learned from outside of Scripture. Or what about what some people have said is the exception for divorce in Matthew 5 and 19, where Jesus is recorded as saying, I, I don't permit divorce except for porneia, that would be the Greek word. And we translate that as immorality. Well, what does that mean? Well, that passage doesn't tell you. And good, spirit-filled, Bible-believing Christians come to different answers. But we can try to get more accurate in the answer we come to by looking at other uh, resources. What do we know about that word from how it was used in that time period outside of the Bible? How is that word used in the Bible? Um, what were some of the, the contextual factors in who Matthew was writing to that we know from non-Bible data that, that could help us understand how he might have been addressing that situation? So all of that to say, other contextual information helps us better understand the scriptures. It's the same way with cultural customs. We might think in Matthew 1.19, it's a mistake, and, and I don't actually think this, but where, where Matthew records that Joseph was going to divorce Mary, even though they were betrothed, because we would be thinking, well, you only get divorced if you're married. Well, no, I, the cultural custom was a divorce certificate needed to be given if a betrothal was separated even if the relationship had not ended in a, a final marriage and consummation. So we understand that through uh, different uh, cultural data we learn about the time period. Sometimes what we learn helps us better translate words, which are in the Bible, which then help us better understand the concepts that are conveyed through Scripture. Then there are all these issues in, in the Corinthian letters about cultural customs too, like head coverings and when a woman can speak and when she can't speak and uh, what her head should be covered with, or if it should be covered, and the same with men, all of that. And, and sometimes we can understand better what Paul's getting at if we understand the, the kind of cultural situation of the day through documents that are not in Scripture. It's interesting to me. People seem to apply different standards to the Bible than they do to anything else they read. And in order to understand Scripture, we have to also look at it as literature. It is written in different genres. It's written in different time periods. And if we were going to understand something written in Shakespeare's day, and I'll give a very simple example here, it would help to understand how language was used then. Because in a Shakespearean play, if someone said their mother's meal was awful, they weren't being insulting. They meant it was full of awe. It was wonderful. But if we used that word today, people would be insulted. You, really? You said your mother's meal was awful? 
Well, it's, it's the same word, but we understand what it means when we understand how it was used at the time, and we understand that from outside of the piece of literature itself. But we also learn about conventions for li from literature from outside of literature, too. So, for instance, what were some common patterns in Jewish apocalyptic literature, like kind of end-time sort of stuff? Well, we understand that because there are examples of that from outside of Scripture that help us understand what is in Scripture. So there are many examples of this, but my point here is that people don't apply the same standards when they come to understand Scripture. They'll read other literature, hopefully, taking into account its context and its time period, but they don't do that with Scripture. But it was written in a time period. It was written to specific people who lived in a certain cultural, geographical setting and time setting. And in order for them to understand it, they would have needed to understand their culture and their time. And often we don't think about that because our culture and our time is kind of like the water that a fish swims in. It's not conscious of it. But if the original audience would have understood it in a certain way, we need to try and get ourselves in the same place in terms of uh, contextual understanding so we can hear what Scripture says the same way the original audience would have heard. And the Spirit doesn't seem to do that sort of thing. It isn't telling you about what the cultural customs were in first century Palestine. No, it's helping apply those words to your heart and your life and make clear the concepts related to the gospel and soften your heart to what is in Scripture. But in order to understand Scripture to the fullest or as full as we can, we do need things from outside of the Bible. And my last point, and I won't spend much time here, is simply that if all you need to understand Scripture is the Spirit, why does the Spirit equip some as teachers and preachers? If we need people to teach us, to do work, to understand and strive to more deeply comprehend the things in Scripture and study, well, why do we need those if the Spirit just does all that work for us? But no, I, I think the most common sense uh, kind of understanding here is that when Paul tells us that some are given as teachers and preachers and those sorts of things, that this is because we need them. We actually benefit from them as individuals and the body because they have a very necessary role. Because the Spirit is not the only thing we need. And that's not a low view of the Spirit. In fact, I might have a stronger view of the Spirit in the Christian life than some people who disagree with me in certain areas. I'm not trying to insult the Holy Spirit by any means. I'm just simply saying, if we don't do the study necessary to understand Scripture, and we only rely on what we think is the Spirit, I think oftentimes we will end up substituting our own thoughts, baptized with some divine authority, when that's not actually what has happened. So, I hope this has given you something to think about, and I look forward to talking with you next week on Unapologetic. Unapologetic.